0: Well, it seems like the Lord keeps giving us providential opportunities to apply our creation and culture series uh, that we're going through on Sunday night. Last week was Father's Day, and the theme went right along with Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31, which declares that God created mankind in his image, specifically male and female, uh, as his equal co regents over the earth. And this week, uh, we were supposed to be in Romans 4, but we have a landmark ruling from the United States Supreme Court that, as you know, overturned the same court's earlier ruling in Roe v. Wade from January 22, 1973, when I was three years of age that, uh, that took place. And so, this morning, I want to help you think well about that. We 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 don't use the pulpit to chase every cultural thing that that happens but moments like this moments like uh when a burger fell happened um and our our country institutionalized sin actually wrote it into their into their laws that that's a moment for for God's people to look to him and to his word and uh and try to think think well so i want to Want to try to help you in that way this morning? Uh, help you think rightly about the things that you're going to hear in the coming months and, and even farther out. And so, salvation is not by ceremony. In Romans four, is uh, we'll wait till next week. Let me try to explain to you in a in a little bit of extended introduction uh, what happened, what has happened, and what did happen on Friday in layman's terms and. You don't need to be a legal scholar to, to understand it. Um, I know as, a, as an American, as a Christian, you are well familiar with the, with the term Roe versus Wade, but, but do you actually understand what, what, was, what was ruled in, in that case and everything that, that led up to it? Well, 49 years ago, the United States Supreme Court ruled in a case that, that was famously called Roe versus Wade, and it struck down a statute from the state of Texas which prohibited abortion unless a woman's life was in danger. Abortion was legal, but it was very restricted in the sense only in these extreme cases when when a a woman's life was in danger. Prior to that ruling, uh, abortion for convenience or simply because you wanted one was prohibited, not just in Texas, but in a lot of the country. And You may not know this, but but prior to the early 1800s, abortion was not regulated at all, for, for the most part, um, before a, a woman could feel the baby. Uh, that moment was called the quickening, um, and they didn't have ultrasounds then, and so the most obvious gauge that they had was whenever they could, they could tell that there was a baby there, which is probably around three to four months, and... uh, Several regulations were made in the 1820s and 1830s that regulated uh, abortion-inducing drugs, primarily because they were killing the women that were taking them, uh, as well as the, the baby. Lots of incremental developments between 1830 and 1973 that laid the groundwork for for Roe versus Wade, the, the ruling, but, but that case alone has created the, the legal precedents for the last 49 years until last Friday, which is why it is a significant moment in, in our history. In 1969, a 22-year-old woman from Texas named Norma McCorvey sought an elective abortion uh, and she was called Jane Rowe in the court documents. And she had been pregnant twice before and carried both of those babies to term and gave those children up for adoption, but unable now to get an elective abortion since her life was not in any danger, she was referred to and many would say preyed upon by two feminist attorneys uh, named Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington. These were Advocacy lawyers looking for a favorable case to challenge uh, the U.S. abortion laws. Thinking that they had found that case in, in McCorvey, they sued the state of Texas. Henry Wade was the district attorney uh, for the county in which McCorvey lived, hence Roe versus Wade. And in June 1970, uh, that was the year I was born, uh, the case went to the Texas District Court as it moved through the system and it was ruled by the Texas District Court that the state's abortion restrictions were not legal uh, because they violated an implied right to privacy. Violated in this case Ms. McCorvey's right to, to privacy of, of the decisions that she was making and what was happening in her womb and those types of things. And The Constitution uh, doesn't use the term abortion. It doesn't use the term reproductive rights or even the right to privacy. Those words are not in the the Constitution. But several amendments, like the the Fourth Amendment, imply that citizens do have the right to to personal privacy. For instance, the, the First Amendment protects the freedom of religion and your right to keep that private. No one has a right to demand to know who you worship or, or how you worship. Or, or the Third Amendment, which protects the privacy of your home. The, the Fourth Amendment uh, protects you from unwarranted, unreasonable search and seizure by the government, another aspect of privacy. And so the, the, the Roe case eventually was appealed to the Supreme Court. And on January 22, 1973, in a 7-2 to two decision... Uh, the the justices ruled that Texas law was in, in, indeed unconstitutional. That was that was their position, and the court declared that a woman's right to an abortion, which was never explicitly stated in the Constitution, was implied by the right to privacy protected by the Fourteenth Amendment and, and and several others. And The 14th Amendment was an amendment that was ratified right after the the Civil War during the Reconstruction era. Uh, The 13th Amendment abolished slavery. The 14th Amendment guaranteed equal rights for all citizens uh, by by the Constitution. And so the the 14th Amendment prohibits states from making laws, states from making laws that infringe upon the personal protections provided by the first 13 amendments, which which were already there, meaning that the the prior to the 14th Amendment, uh, i.e. before the Civil War, states had the ability to, to make laws that, that may violate freedom of speech or religion or otherwise. The states had that, had, had that ability. And so in the case of abortion, the court said the right to privacy, whether that was grounded in the concept of personal liberty or uh, the, uh, the, the protection of due process uh, or the Ninth Amendment, quote, it's, all of that is broad enough to protect a woman's decision whether to terminate her pregnancy. So the ruling was basically a hodgepodge of, uh, of judicial applications, pulling from implications and a lot of, of different uh, amendments, because I said the right to abortion is never stated in the, in the Constitution, unlike the right to bear arms in the Second Amendment, which is specifically stated in the Constitution. Now, You can argue about, you know, has that protection of rights and, you know, and whether that's a good thing to have, that's what it says. But beyond that, beyond the, the, the way in which the, the, the ruling was, was made, it, and this is vital to help you understand what happened on Friday... In the majority opinion of Roe v. Wade, the court went beyond the case itself and outlined in its, in its opinion its own system of human viability. When does someone become a person? When, when, is, a, when is a baby viable and, and how, do you, how do you apply law to that? And so they created arguably de facto law, at least that's how it's been, been operating and, to try to balance the, 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 uh, the woman's uh, interest of privacy and the state's ability to regulate potential human life, the court divided pregnancy into three trimesters. Again, this is not in law. This is not in the Constitution. This is, in the, this is from the court. Three trimesters and declared that an abortion in the first trimester was solely up to the mother. In the second trimester, the the government could regulate abortion in order to protect the mother's health as long as they didn't outlaw it or ban it. And then in the third trimester, the state could prohibit abortion to protect a baby that could survive outside of the womb. So there's survivability that was was there. And again, except in the danger of uh, of a woman's health. There have been other cases like Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992 that affirmed uh, Roe's earlier decision, but, but the implied right to personal privacy, specifically in that first trimester and then beyond, uh, which has nothing to do with, with abortion, and the court's trimester framework, human viability, is what every law in challenge since then has been held to. So... Those two issues are are where the legal rub lies. Does the the 14th Amendment and others apply to a woman's right to end her baby's life? Uh, Does she have the right to privacy in that realm? And therefore, the government cannot make a a law to regulate what happens there. I mean, uh, does her right to privacy trump the baby's right to live? And then, can the court's contrived trimester framework be used to overrule laws that are passed by the people's duly elected representatives in, in states or on a, on a federal level? Now, it might be interesting uh, to you to know that Ms. McCorvey Rowe did, in fact, give birth to her baby before the case was settled, and she put that one up for adoption as, as well. She later became a pro-life advocate, uh, fighting against the very case that, that she was party to. But to add even more drama to her life, she recanted her recantation of abortion rights just a few months before she died at age 69. Probably not the best time to be recanting those types of things before you face God. But that's what she did. Now, that's, that's the background. So what happened on, on, on Friday in the ruling by the, by the U.S. Supreme Court? And, and how should you think about that? Well, well, first of all, it's a wonderful thing on two fronts. It, it will have an immediate impact on many babies in the womb right now, um, as well as protect frightened mothers uh, from the years of regrets and emotional scars uh, the ladies that fall into the abortion trap of, of all different types of, of things. So it won't just affect babies, it will affect, it will affect women in a very wonderful, wonderful way. I mean, states that already have laws that recognize the personhood of a, of a prenatal baby or, or some level of restrictions on abortion will go into effect and uh, it will, will stop abortion clinics from operating. That's a wonderful thing. That's a, it's a glorious thing, and you should give God thanks for that. Uh, you should rejoice in that. Babies that have no way to protect themselves other than the dependence upon their mothers will now have the state to protect them if those mothers will not, contrary to what they had before Friday in, in several places. Just as God designed in Romans 13 in verse 4, talking about the government or, or laws established by the government, God says, for it is a minister, a servant of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger of, who, uh, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So, Romans 13 is, is, is really a commentary where you, you understand why God established government in, in, in his world, not just in the U.S., but all over uh, the earth, and the purpose of, of a law, governmental law. Um, it was to restrain evil and to promote good. Uh, it doesn't change the heart, the government can't change the heart. The, The law doesn't change the heart. This ruling doesn't change hearts. It was never intended to do that. This is the intent for for governmental authorities and and laws. It's a guide for good people that are already changed by God, and it's a guard against evil to restrain the hearts of people that haven't been changed by God who who want want to do wrong. It's a It's a conforming, it has a conforming purpose, a restraining purpose. It holds back the the evil in our hearts that's been there since since the fall. Uh, Law is not transforming, It, it can't change or alter. And based on this ruling on Friday, that purpose has been strengthened and that is a very good thing and you should rejoice in that. Second the ruling on Friday promotes representative government, um, and that is good, and that's also bad. Uh, understand, the ruling on Friday does not outlaw abortion nationwide. I wish it did, but it doesn't. It doesn't even create a single restriction on on abortion. It. It just says that the Supreme Court does not believe that the federal constitution, the, the constitution from a, or federal law explicitly declares abortion is a right. And laws can now be passed by the legislative branch for abortion or against abortion. So without the court throwing uh, those laws uh, out based on the, the constitutional ground that that was supposedly implied in, in Roe versus Wade. So it now places the decision of those things back to, back to the people within each state instead of the Supreme Court, like it has been with that ruling for, for 49 years. And so people from each state will now have the ability, like prior to Roe, to pass laws on the matter for or against it, electing their representatives accordingly according to what laws they want passed related to abortion or anything else. and I mean, the ruling has nothing to do with inequality or subjugating women or Donald Trump or any other shrill thing that you have already heard and will hear ad nauseum uh, over the next months and probably longer. In fact, sadly, as a result of Friday, abortions will likely increase and become even in, 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 in some states will become even more radical, like in Washington state and California and New York. And the Supreme Court will, will let those stand unless it violates some other premise. There will be states that will pass laws now all the way to the third trimester. Anyone can travel to any of those states to obtain an abortion at any time. And not only that, you've probably seen. Many private companies are rushing to, to vow to pay for it. Uh, Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, de- declared Friday that they will assist any employee with travel reimbursement to obtain an abortion. As did Disney, as did Lyft, as did JP. Morgan Chase as did Warner Brothers, as did CVS, as did Microsoft, as did Netflix, as did Apple, as did, and you could go on and on and on. Dick Sporting Goods, their CEO, Lauren Hobart, announced up to $4,000 in reimbursements for employees who have to travel to another state to obtain a legal abortion, and Amazon has a matching offer and the list is is growing. So don't think that somehow the ruling is now going to ensure life everywhere in the in, in the United States. The, these matters are now subject to the hearts of the electorate, which is increasingly hostile toward toward God smack dab in the middle of a, of a Romans 1 judgment that, that's happening where, where God is turning us over to our own desires. In fact, you should expect the culture war and the hostility toward, toward God to increase because of what happened on, on Friday. And anyone aligning with the Lord or remotely aligning with the Lord to, to increase. Um, that's one of the the dashed hopes that that the original court had in their in their majority opinion on in deciding Roe v, Roe v. Wade. I mean, beyond the legal boundaries, what was the the court back in 1973 trying to do? They it was a moderate court's uh, attempt of, at compromise to to try to tamp down the culture war that 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 was happening that had been building in our country since the. Since the 60s, not only over abortion, but other social matters. So follow, uh, following World War II, the 1940s and the 50s with the defeat of Nazi Germany, the, the great generation, the next decade, as you know, the 60s uh, brought the sexual revolution and people grew up that, that lived during that time and their rebellion expanded into the 70s and the 80s and it was a great time of turmoil. Many of you lived through that divide in the, in the country. And there were growing groups of people that wanted to throw off things, uh, any type of restraints, and demanding to live however they, they, they wanted. And one of those issues was, was the right to abortion at any point. I mean, if you can have sex whenever you want, with whoever you want, and reject biblical marriage, then, then you, need the, uh, you need to end those pregnancies as well, and you don't need the state standing in your way. And so the court's decision, the attempt with, with Roe, was was an attempt to find some middle ground in this trimester uh, thing that they, they did. In their minds, it would give the, the state some kind of compromise framework to work with, and maybe it would help cool the, cool, cool the fires, and it failed miserably. Um, it didn't solve the cultural divide, it exacerbated it. I mean, states with God-fearing people, uh, elected representatives who then passed laws that were pro-life, and people who wanted abortions then sued, and that ended up in the courts, and vice versa. States with people who had no biblical influence or less biblical influence passed laws that made abortion legal all the way up to the ninth month, and God-fearing people in those states sued, and that ended up in in the courts. And this current court on Friday is likely hoping for a different outcome with a different methodology. Let's push the issue back to the people and let the, the states decide. Which is why the hope of solving the culture war by this ruling will, will fail again. Because the issue of abortion is not with what the Constitution says. Or who gets to say to make the laws, the states or the federal judiciary The issue is is how do people view creation and the Creator? Do people fear God and walk in His Word, or do they not? And you're going to hear a lot of talk about rights over the next month, women's rights and states' rights and other rights, but that's not what you need to be concerned about as a Christian. What you need to know is what does the Creator of the universe say and does your view line up with His? Because His right to declare what is good and what is evil is the only right that matters. You don't need stare decisis or... uh, whatever Latin term that's there, non-justices or the state legislator to figure it out. It's, it's very clear right here in God's Word. So don't get lost in the sea of voices that, that are out there and how people are responding to it. All you need to do is go here and stand in that spot. It's, it's that simple. You have no rights that, that he doesn't give you anyway. And, and you don't want any because he is a good and wise father who never withholds anything worthy from us. And that was the initial lie that Satan uh, told us in the, in, in the garden. And we've been falling for it ever, ever since. I mean, he convinced, Satan convinced Adam and Eve that God was trying to keep something good from them with, with, his, with his restrictions in the garden. All the trees all of creation. It's yours. You're ruling over it. You're, you're to take it. You're to be fruitful and multiply. You're, sub, you're to subdue it. You, you're, to, you're to multiply my image and use all, all of this. But this one tree, you may not eat from. It's off limits. And Satan said, God's trying to keep something good from you, believing him. Then they disobeyed God and in and, and, did what was forbidden, and, and Satan just re- repeated his plan over and over and over since, since then, and we keep falling for it. God is trying to, to keep, you from, keep you from something good by, by telling you that the best sex is found protected by a lifelong covenant of marriage, and Satan says, no, 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 no. You, you want your rights, you want to have the right to sleep with whoever you want to, whenever you want and God is keeping uh, something from you. And, and that lie, buying that lie, has brought devastating consequences to people. With abortion, God is trying to keep something good from you, the, the, the good life, by telling you that life is, is something to be protected and, and valued. And Satan says, no, no, your freedom and future is more important than, than that life in, in the womb. And by buying that, Women actually devalue their own lives whenever they they believe that whenever they believe that because human life is sacred. All of it. That's how God views it. From the moment that cells burst forth in conception with unceasing vision, a human being is made in God's image and is growing and developing and and the glory of God shines brightly there. Before that baby ever sees the light of day, the glory of God is radiating from, 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 that, from that womb. That life is precious in His sight. And that is a foundational basis to all of humanity, all of existence, that there is a God who made us and human beings have value. You remove those two things. It's like the, the North and South Pole, that there's a creator, there's a God who, who declares right and wrong. It is the judge of all the universe. And that human beings have intrinsic value because they've been made by that God, everything falls apart. They have value regardless of their looks, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their mental or physical capacity, their social status, or anything else. It has no bearing whatsoever on their worth in God's sight. We're all made in God's image. We bear his mark, and you cannot increase uh, the value of another human being by ending one. You can't say abortion is, is right because the mother is more valuable, or her future is more valuable than, than a clump of cells, uh, as if you're, you're weighing those two things out on the scales. You, as a human being, are weighing those two things out on, on the scale. And that doesn't value her. It devalues all of life, including her life. And preserving this understanding is, is not just a political issue, it's a humanity issue. It's because God defines how we're to treat other beings in, in His image. So what does the Bible say? What, what does God say... And then I'll apply how you should go forward. I think you can distill five facts that God declares about human life in, from the Bible. I think these are five transcendent truths that stand no matter what the court says it was true before Friday and after Friday and you must believe these. And the first fact is very basic, but, but important. Life is God's. Life is God's to order. Genesis 1 declares that, that life and all that exists was created by God. It's not some arbitrary happenstance that has been propelled into existence by the force of chance or some other system, but made by a personal creator. And you have to start there. Because the the fact that God is the creator establishes that he has the right to rule over you and me as his creation. And everyone, regardless of where they live or whatever religion they claim. Because he's the one who directs it, including everything related to it. That establishes... His authority, Colossians 1.16, echoed in the New Testament, for by Him all things were created. You know this verse, both in heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Paul starts with the fact of creation. All things were created. And then he's starting here declaring Jesus Christ is the Creator. And, and he declares who created. It was created by Him. By Jesus. And then he declares to us creation's purpose. It's created for him. The fact of creation. Who created? And creation's purpose. Life is God's. We're his subjects. We were made for him. Not ourselves. We are subject to him. Life is subject to him. Job, even when facing the death of his children, declares this. Look at Job 1. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin nor did he blame God. Now you probably know that The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It's kind of a mantra that that we say. But why does he say, and in that, he did not sin or blame God? Talking about the death of of, of his children. It was because that that Job had good theology. He he knew that God has the power over life and death. That He has rights over it. Job 31, uh, 15 said, Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And the same one fashioned us in the womb. In Psalm 139, 13, For you formed my inward parts. Tuck read this for us. You wove me in my mother's womb. I mean, in Psalm 39, I'll even refer to it later, David says that God literally knits us together in our mother's womb. It's, it's the idea of God being a, a creator, using this term of a, of a knitter of life. Uh, a knitter takes wool or, or yarn and weaves it and works it, and, and it becomes something that it wasn't based on the, the, the influence of the, uh, of the knitter. And likewise, God, through the, the parts provided by human sexuality and even beyond those, those parts, knits... Uh, those things in, into something that, that alone they were not before. It was provided by, by the man and the woman. God brings that together, and there is a, there's a new everlasting creation. John Piper said the least that we can draw out of this text is that the formation of the life of a person in the womb is the work of God. God is the the." the vow in this verse, or the, the you in this verse. Further, we can say that the formation of life in the womb is not merely a mechanical process, but it's something on the analogy of weaving or knitting. You did knit me together in my mother's womb. The life of the unborn is the, the knitting of God. It's not just a mechanical process. And what he is knitting is a human being in His image, unlike any other creature in the universe. That means that the destruction of that life, in abortion or otherwise, is an assault on the work of God, that God is doing. Think of that. God is doing a work in the womb, and someone is destroying that. It has nothing to do with man's rights. You can't take what God is forming and knitting and nurturing and end it and that not be about God. It's His work. And all life is valuable to Him, which is the second fact, I would say, that you can draw out of Scripture. About human life, life is valuable because man is made in the image of God. And we went over this in detail last, last Sunday night. We value what God invests with His worth. We value life, the life of human beings, because God invests in human beings His worth. Life is valuable because it's created in God's image. We read Genesis 1, 27 and 28. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's what we just looked at. No other creature in the universe, no matter how complex or magnificent, bears the image of God, like a human being. I mean, that means humans alone were created by God, capable of embodying His some of His attributes and representing Him on the earth. I mean, theologians categorize God's attributes in, in two categories. Uh, non-communicable attributes or qualities that are unique to God, things that, that are just there because of, He's God, and then the ones that we can, we can reflect, um, that we share as a human being, at least, at least in part. For instance, being created in the image of God does not mean that, that we are God in the sense that we can be omnipresent or omnipotent. We don't possess immutability like God does. We don't possess sovereignty or uh, greatness like, like God does or self-existence. But we're like God by bearing His image in the ability that we, we can reason, we can think, we have a will, we have m- emotion, we have moral ability. And the scripture lists all kinds of things like wisdom in Romans 16 and faithfulness and truthfulness and love and goodness and righteousness and mercy and compassion, and holiness, and graciousness, and patience, and peace, kindness, gentleness, joy, forgiveness, and, and justice, and you could go on. Those are, are things that the Bible says is like God. These are His attributes. So we, 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 we mirror those. We reflect those. The fall affected all of that, of course. Jesus Christ is now remaking the, that, that image, and we're, con, we're conformed to his image. Uh, I think John Frame gives a, gives a help, helpful illustration again about how we reflect God's image. He says, as Adam begat sons in his defaced image, uh, so Christ's children bear his pure image. Thus the Lord removes us, removes from us the distortions of the image that was due to sin and leads us toward a a perfect likeness to God. He he said you might think of it like this. In photocopying, you can make copies of another copy. We're we're a copy of, of a copy of a copy going back to Adam. In photocopying, you make copies of another copy as long as the latter is perfect. If you try to copy from a defaced copy, you'll get defaced images. And the only recourse is then to go back to the original, go back to the perfect copy. And so to be restored into God's image, God must turn us away from our fallen nature in Adam and recreate us in Jesus Christ, who is both the original and the perfect copy. So that's what's happening. As you're being renewed and being conformed into the image of Christ. Number three... The Bible, I think, clearly tells us that life begins at conception. Uh, Turn over to Luke chapter 1, verse 39 and and, and 34. Luke chapter 1. There are several places where God gives us a glimpse into the womb. No ultrasounds then, but the Lord could obviously see. One of those places where God gives us a, a, a glimpse of the womb is in Luke chapter 1. Passages that you'll know from Christmas. Here's the story of Elizabeth and Mary who were both given a child in the womb. Both of these pregnancies, the pregnancy of Elizabeth and Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth the mother of of John the Baptist, both of these pregnancies are miraculous. Elizabeth is too old. Uh, She'd always been barren and she becomes pregnant with 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 the Baptist, and Mary was miraculous because she was a virgin. She did not know a man. And when Mary tells Elizabeth about the angel revealing to her that she would bear a son, look, if you would, at verse 41 of Luke 1. It says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want you to notice two things. I want you to notice what God calls this thing in her belly while it's still in her belly. It's it's a baby. It's not a zygote or an embryo or tissue or anything else. It's a a baby. And that's no different to what God calls a child outside of the womb. Look back at verse 24 of Luke. Luke. It says that after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months. Drop down to verse 26. Luke says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. So when Mary becomes pregnant, Elizabeth is about 24 weeks. And so we know... From the second trimester, God considers a baby a human life. But what about earlier? Is this, is the Supreme Court trimester system correct? It's not a baby before the quickening, before the leaping in, in the womb? I mean, when does a baby become a baby? And this is where Psalm 139 comes in. Psalm 139 says, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. So, okay, we're back in the womb again. We're talking about God's knitting. And verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, watch this, when as yet there was not one of them. I mean, did you notice do you notice all of the, the references to personhood? You formed my inward parts. You wove me. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. I mean, David is a person in God's sight, while he was forming cells and growing and developing in the, in the womb, God even knew him before that. His days were written before there was not one of them. A human being is considered real and valued by God at the, at the moment of conception, and once life begins, death doesn't even end life. Physical life, yes, but, but not the life of a spirit or a soul. I mean, we just change locations. I mean, at that moment of, of conception, and the bearing of the image of God, when, when, when the spirit is there, the soul is there, you live on, even though you're disembodied. You, you don't have the physical body that was flesh and blood for, for the earth. You live in heaven or, or in eternal judgment. So life begins at, at conception. The obvious one then, the fourth fact, is the taking of... Human life outside of God ordained judgment is murder. I mean, you, you know the Ten Commandments. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. God's law reveals God's character. The word for kill, murder, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder in Exodus 2013 is a specific Hebrew word. It's used forty three times in the Old Testament. It's it always means a violent, personal killing, as in murder or attempted murder. It was never used in in what happened in war, with maybe one possible exception in Numbers 35. Uh, it wasn't the word that was used in a judicial execution like capital punishment. So this command doesn't include war or death penalty. It's the personal and sinful taking of human life that's forbidden by, by God. I mean in scripture there's a clear distinction between the putting to death and and the illegal murder. Numbers thirty-five nineteen. the The murderer shall be shall be put to death. Numbers thirty-five nineteen. The murderer. There's one word, shall certainly be put to death. There's the other word. Word for murder is that same word for kill, and the word put to death is the general word, which is talking about an execution that the government carries out. And any time the Bible speaks about killing that's justified, it's always in the case where God has shared His authority, delegated His authority in some way to to civil authorities because He's the one who who controls life. Like in Romans 13, the government bears not the sword in, in, in vain. One commentator said, When the state acts in its capacity as God's ordained preserver of justice and peace, it has the right to the sword as this right of the state is always exercised to punish evil and never to attack the innocent. Because if it was to attack the innocent, then that would be murder, and it would be forbidden by the, by the Ten Commandments. In fact, the death penalty is one of the ways that God proves life is valuable. Losing your life is the only earthly penalty great enough for taking someone's. You should probably know all of that. And I hope you know this one. The fifth fact is the taking of life can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. When something like this comes up and everybody's attention is there, or you hear a message like this, or in my case, I preach a message like like this, you're aware, I'm aware, because I'm a sinner that maybe you're, you're sitting here this morning and you're like me whenever I listen to messages that talk about my, my past sins. Or you're listening to all these passages or even watching TV in the last few days and, and it's reminding you of what you've done. At some point in your life or for some reason, maybe you don't even know the reason now, maybe as an unbeliever, maybe as a believer, weak, faithless, in whatever condition, you had an abortion, you performed one, you encouraged one, and you're thinking, uh, what about me? What, what, what does God have to say to me? Because I can't change that. Well, I can tell you exactly what he says. He says the same thing to you as he says to everyone. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I mean, the same thing he thinks about every sinner washed clean by the blood of Christ is what he thinks about you. Such were, past tense, some of you, but you've been washed. And now you can have fellowship with God... It's not unrestricted fellowship, and you can have fellowship with with other people that committed different sins, maybe not that one. And all of that is in His Son and through His Son, not, not through a political platform or a position or anything else. It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which brings us all to God the exact same way. And the Bible declares, whatever you've done, Jesus can wash it clean. Can I give you a wonderful thought? If you're in this last category, the baby, who is a real person, is with the Lord. Amen. And you will see that baby again one day, if you go to heaven. It's waiting there, on you, you right now. While you're living in this mess. That child is waiting in glory. Just like the others that have been lost in miscarriage. I have two that I've never met. And I can't wait to see, were they boys, were they girls, I don't know. And so what's going to, what's going to happen when you get to heaven is, is going to be glorious. What's going to happen here over the next months and years well if you haven't settled whether you know jesus christ and you're still in your sins uh, foul to the fountain fly wash me savior or i die and that that's the attitude and he will and he'll restore you and then get in a biblical church and and start learning who is god and and what does he say and and live that out with other believers because that's god's answer to send the gospel in a biblical church to help you grow and, and live and, and honor the Lord. What, what's, let's say you've done that and you're a Christian. What, what's going to happen in the months and the, and the years and the things that, that, that are coming with, with this ruling? Well, in one sense, I don't know. And neither do you and in specifics. What's going to happen in this state or, 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 or in that state? Um, there's some things that you don't know. There are some things that that you do know. It's predictable. More likely, states that are already liberal and and godless will go to extremes and will become even greater dens of of wickedness. And states that have God-fearing people will will restrict abortions. And the people who are in those states who want an abortion will travel to get it and many employers will pay for it. What you also know is that the cultural divide will not get better with this. It'll get worse. And that's okay, too. Um, America will fall under, the people will fall under even even greater judgment. God will have mercy in that judgment because his people are still here. I I pray for that regularly. Lord, I I know that your judgment is, is falling, but... But have mercy, your people are still here, mingled among us. We want to be faithful to that. I mean, to echo the words of Al Mohler after a burger fell. Uh, in one sense, everything changed on Friday. In another sense, nothing has changed. Uh, everything has changed in that the as a nation we 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 have now r- removed a restriction to that, that promoted sin. That's wonderful news. What happened on Friday? In another sense, nothing's changed. God's Word hasn't changed. Christ is still the sin-conquering Savior who can save to the uttermost, the one who's coming in the clouds of glory. And people are still sinful without the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. So what should you do as a Christian? Just leave you with, with three thoughts. There are more. Here are three that, that have come to my mind to, to, to think through. First of all, understand what, what this is. Understand what's going on, which is why I belabored the, the introduction. I mean, don't think this changed the culture. It didn't. Understand this this is not about abortion. Understand this is not about women's rights. This is about authority. This is about God's authority and people's hatred of that authority. Mankind wants to rule. Not be ruled. And all the anger and all the rage that you see around you that's coming out in the culture, whether it's over racial issues or Black Lives Matter or against police or against parents or, or against abortion or against the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center, it's, it's all uh, what, what's coming against people that represent God, in, even in, in, in small reflections, is coming from people rejecting the, the source of all authority, being God. It's, it's chafing, it's a pushing back against that. And those that they perceive represent God are, are, the, are the local target. And you shouldn't be surprised by the increased hostility. So understand what's happening. Number two, know your Bible and stand there. And you say, well, I, I do know my Bible. Well, no, What I'm talking about is gird up the loins of your mind and be ready. I mean, the days of casual Christianity are over. You must think well or be lost in this sea of of human opinions. Um, You'll find yourself compromising very quickly and things creeping in like, why didn't they just leave this alone? There's so much turmoil that's been created over this. I mean... This is a skin off my back whether a woman does that that or not. I mean, wouldn't it have been better if the Supreme Court just, just left it the way, the way that it is? I mean, that's either a, you're, there's either going to be a slow leak or a blowout. But the issue is the rebellion against a creator who is the authority. And that's just being expressed in a greater and greater way as the judgment from Romans 1 as God continues to turn people over to their own desires, and those own desires get worse and worse and worse and get more and more heightened. So understand your role in this world from Scripture. Don't think you're going to win a culture war. Uh, Don't try to fight fire with more fire. You will be consumed. Culture wars are not won with more gunpowder, but with the gospel. I I mean, it sounds over-simplistic to some of you, like, why don't we do something? The answer is a clear proclamation of Scripture in biblical churches. That's God's answer to a fallen world. Simple as that. It doesn't mean that you don't do more than that, but that's the main thing. And then the third thing I would say to you is, is be Christian. Be Christian in how you live and how you act toward, toward others. Did you pick up in Psalm 139 where David talked about hating God's enemies? Hating the systems that, that prey on, on women and poor people and, and the minds of, of folks that don't have Scripture? Yeah, I hate that. Um, but your care for people who also bear God's image matters. So you're to love your enemies. Be careful with your speech. And you say, yeah, well, but they're, they're throwing it, and we need to throw it back. Uh, no, you don't. You, you need to know the Scriptures. You need to stand where the Scriptures stand and, and be a biblical church. Don't blow bubbles and dance outside of the Supreme Court. I mean, can you imagine Jesus telling his disciples to go to the temple with speakers and a bubble machine and dance when he overturned the tables of the money changers? I'm rejoice for sure. This is a glorious thing. But weep as well for the souls of people who are without God and who will go deeper into their rebellion because they now feel something is standing in their way and their heart will respond... Just be a real Christian. Sacrificially give your life away for others. Care about people. Love your enemies. Do what you did before. Believe in the sanctity of life. Adopt, foster, serve God that way. If that's what God's called you to do, if not, then then do something else. But stand where God stands and walk in wisdom toward those who are outside and be able to give a reason for the hope that's within you, the hope of the gospel. When the Lord draws hearts to, to himself. And as you walk with God and he unfolds what he's doing in all of this, he'll use you, which is what we long and desire. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word I'm so thankful that you're stable, and your truth is stabilizing. It gives us a a rudder, keeps us from extremes, sets us firmly in, in a position, and that position is yours. You are the creator, and you have declared things about life, things that are right and wrong, what is evil, what is good, and... And we run there. We stand there in that position. And Lord, we recognize you've told us that because of we're standing there, there will be opposition and hostility and, and other things, and you've told us how to act in, in light of that. Help us remain and help us be like you. Help us to bear your image in all of these, these attributes, the hating of evil, and the, the loving of, of people that are caught in it. And help us, Lord, to be a biblical church. We love you. And I do pray again, anyone that's in the midst of sin or struggling with sin of past, that they would come to Jesus Christ and be cleansed. He longs to do that today. It's in his name we pray. Amen.